Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined as always by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? Good, Ryan. Great to talk to you today. Great to talk to you today, too. And today we are, uh, par- I want to say partially fulfilling. Partially fulfilling. Partially fulfilling. We'll do it um, again. We'll yes. do We'll do this again, uh, different texts. Um, but we have gotten multiple requests uh, over the years uh, that we've been doing this for um, something on Adorno, something on Frankfurt. And uh, and Adorno, just in a single episode, I think we both decided it was just too much. Um, and we are instead going to um, engage with all, uh, uh, or uh, all, a representative sampling of... Uh, or all. Or all, okay, of... Um, the uh, I have the uh, dialect. It's dialectic of enlightenment, isn't it? Dialectic of, the book. of I, enlightenment. Yeah. Okay, it's because the first chapter is concept of enlightenment. I had, I had right, the, right, the, right. The thing right. in my head. So we are. You can see that in the title. We're working single text uh, for this and try to uh, get into this uh, really influential uh, text of um, Adorno and Horkheimer. And um, I know uh, you have some personal history with the text that you you definitely want to talk about. But just right from right off the bat, like this. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about um, the uh, culture industry chapter, which is a uh, very famous, very well known in our field, uh, which outside of the theoretical, um, but media studies and film studies. This is uh, that's just a this is a a huge text. Canonical. This is it's yeah. like it begins if you're if you're doing an intro if you're doing an intro class on reception studies or if you're doing an intro class just in media studies generally. Um, and I would imagine in, yeah, like in, in, in response to, to film as industry, like this is just, I mean, this is just like one of the, like maybe the first thing that you would read. Right. I think it's up there in film studies with Laura Mulvey's visual pleasure and narrative cinema and both what's interesting is what they have in common, right? Like they're both vehement takedowns of, of the film industry. Right. So that, that, that's, it's, it's funny that the two, paradigmatic texts for film and media studies are, are so negative, right? Like they're, they're, yeah, yeah. it's true. It's true. It's, 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 um, it's pretty fascinating. It's fascinating to, to uh, return to this for me. I think that the first time I read it was probably grad school, um, and preparing for the show. Well, uh, super interesting. This, this is, um, uh, if you if you are a longtime listener, you will probably be able to anticipate some of the things which we will have as uh, hand checks and pushback against uh, the method that um, Horkheimer and, and Adorno uh, display and some of the way that they understand important terms in their own inquiry, the most important one being dialectic. Um, yeah. If longtime listeners, you will not be surprised by kind of the, re- the direction that we take the conversation in. But just some things from the beginning, something that I think is really useful about this text, and we're going to have our you know, our disagreement, but I don't want to start there. Um, but it, this is a very consistent text and I don't want to damn with faint praise, but like the, the, the way that, the way that they understand, I think it's really useful for this matter. Even if you're going to come at it from, um, the, the Hegelian angle that, you know, we are, are proponents of here. I mean, you know, Todd, it obviously, has written a lot of books on this, but it's not just Todd. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, Slavoj Žižek and Rebecca Comey and Catherine Malibu and, um, you know, Robert Pippin and and Terry Pinker, like the, and just the very, just this one thing that, I, that runs through all of, all of, all of you is the idea that the dialectic is not a synthesis, that it is, um, a, you know, designates an internal antagonism. 
that and right. and, and right. which we are uh, you know adamant and and on uh through many different episodes and so we're going to come back to this but what i want to say about this text is that like that is not how uh, adorno and horkheimer come at this and you can see I, I think it's really useful for this reason is that like the way they develop their argument everything flows out of that first chapter um it's it's like it really is I don't know. It really is a book in that way. And a lot of academic texts are like, are, are you know, the dirty secret is there's a, some kind of connective idea, but there's a lot of different chapters that pursue different aims and ends. And it's maybe not very cohesive. I think that the argument is definitely cohesive, even if we're going to have sort of like big problems at different points. Like it's well worth reading, I think, to just see how the conclusions that they get to, like they're not accidents, like they come out of the way of where they start. Right. But what's shocking about that, Ryan, is how varied the chapters are, right? Like there's mm-hmm. first a, the introductory chapters is theoretically laying out the idea. Mm-hmm. Then there's the chapter on Odysseus, right? And then, yeah. and then there's a chapter on Sod. Mm-hmm. And then there's a chapter on the culture industry. So they just, they're they, like you couldn't pick unless you, I mean, you really would have to try to pick more disparate <laughs> texts, right? Like they're yeah, not yeah, just yeah. saying like, oh, Let's look at the 19th century novel as that developed into film or something like that, right? Like it's right. it's like we're going to start with the Odyssey, mm-hmm. then we're going to go to Sod, and then we're going to jump up to the culture industry, and then we're going to end with this excursus on anti-Semitism, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I think you're exactly right. So even when they call something an excursus, it's mm-hmm. really just a chapter, right? It's really yeah. just it's not inconsistent with the rest of the book, even though I don't, as far as I can remember, there's no transition from one section to another, but no. there doesn't have to be because they're, mm-hmm. just as you say, it's consistently doing the same thing. You said to me a while back, you said, this book should be called Critique of Enlightenment, not Dialectic yeah. of Enlightenment, because yeah. it really, really is mm-hmm. harshly critical. I mean, when when they say culture industry, enlightenment is mass deception, well, mm-hmm. in a way, they kind of think all enlightenment is mass deception, although there is this little moment in the beginning where they say freedom depends on enlightenment, but, mm-hmm. and then they go into the whole thing where yeah. it's enlightenment has betrayed this, this promise of freedom that's attached to it. So, yeah, I think that that's really, really good that the, the, the utter consistency of the argument as it goes through, and they do kind of invent, I mean, Lacan is famous now, more famous than them for Kant of Exod, but yeah. they kind of they basically say the same thing that that Lacan does, that the logic of the Kantian imperative can leads to the Saudian perversion. So mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. it, I mean, Lacan's argument is 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 subtler and 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 more and, and obviously more psychoanalytic. But it's still I think that they, they do anticipate it in certain ways. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think where um it's, it, it, th- this chapter and then that um, essay, which is very hard to read from from Lacan, but the but if, uh, oh I don't know do you, uh, I, we don't want to get into that we can save that for another episode um, but I I know that um, I know that you're working on a book project that is is going to get into Slavoj's famous reading about it and and this so I expect that to be uh, yeah it'll I be interesting th- because Danny Nobis takes. Slavoj to task for basically he thinks misreading Lacan's because he you know Slavoj famously says the point isn't that Sod is the truth of 
of Kant, but that mm-hmm. Kant is the truth of Saad, right? And, right? and Danny's right. like, look, there's no warrant in Lacan's text. For Sa- I mean, <laughs> the point is, of course, Slavoj's argument is far more interesting, <clears throat> which is what we should, I think, care about. But, it, it, but Danny is not wrong mm. at all to say that that, like, there's really not a warrant in Lacan's text for reading it that direction. It's just the, yeah, the, the tie that I was going to take is that, like, the, like, how Lacan and then Adorno and Horkheimer, like, they get to it. Like, Adorno and Horkheimer um, get to that position by being fierce critics of Kant. And right. I think L- Lacan uh, gets there from, uh, I think, from pushing the drive, really, in, in, right. in, 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 all, in all of his, uh, in, in all of his text. So I think that, I, so that's, that's interesting that, like, you know, um, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something to be said there about like uh, the the similarity about a, like a, a self-destructive uh, focus on the on, right. on the text. I don't know. There's maybe something there. But um, this was uh, just to, to to get back to, um, to to the text in front of us. This was yeah. a, this was big for you, right? Huge for me. Yeah. Huge. So for you. yeah, I remember the exact moment. So I was I went to my advisor Walter Mac Davis. As we, I've mentioned him before on the podcast. I went to his house and and. I often went out. I mean, we were very close, and mm-hmm. and we were coming up with my reading list for my comprehensive exams. And he's like, "Well, you got to have, you got to have Adorno on there." He goes, "Maybe uh, uh, Dialectic of Enlightenment." And I'm like, "Who?" I had no. <laughs> so that just gives you a sense of the of the of the radicality of Adorno's explosion since the 1990s. This is yeah. know, mid exact mid 90s. Mm-hmm. So the the what was interesting was that. I, so he said, buy Dialectic of Enlightenment. I had to go to a used bookstore hmm. to get it. Like I couldn't get it. There was not a copy that existed. So I have a, my first copy I read of it, and it, the translation was was criticized and bad. So it, that, there's now a new translation, but I, I I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't get it new. So well, th- this is how this copy. I know this this is the PDF you and I are both working from. I don't know how current this is, but that's how this copy begins. Is that this text fell out of print? Right, and it, right, and it wasn't right. reprinted until the '60s. So this, that, that, so this. So, but it fell out of print term. again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It fell out of print yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it. I mean, maybe it was still in print in some nominal way, but I could mm-hmm. not get a copy of it. So this was not. This was long before the age of where you can just get whatever you want. Um, mm-hmm. But, but, what was so? I, I, I didn't know. I, you know, I had no idea who Adorno was. And I read it and I was just, I felt like the scales came off my eyes. Like, oh mm. my God, like here's a, here's a real critique. And I was at the time, it, it hit me at a moment where I was just starting to discover like art, music, whatever. I mean, I guess they call it classical, but of course it, it's romantic and other things, mm-hmm. but that yeah. like, and, and serious films and, 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 and other kinds of drama. And so like, Beckett and Brecht and so for me I I even though I had this love for the popular I still also I had a kind of self-loathing about that love for the popular <laughs> at the time yeah, yeah. Uh, and fueled in large part by reading this reading this essay I mean I was friends with a guy who was also very snobby and so he 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 exacerbated that but but reading Adorno really cultivated that sense of like the popular is just it's just pure purely ideological and i think that's one of the big ideas of that of that chapter on on the The culture industry yeah yeah yeah. no no and it's i mean and that 
you know, we're going to spend a lot of time on that because it's a, uh, I think it's, it's really accessible. You can probably even find uh, just PDFs of that single chapter. But like the idea, I think, and this argues um, the, the present, re- present day reality uh, in some ways undercuts uh, some of their claims in that chapter. But I, I think that that this position that uh, of the culture industry as a monoculture industry of uh, erasing uh, difference and giving only sameness and, and like the sort of the, uh, the evil that in, in the cultural evil inherent in this kind of serial repetition. Um, right. I think that's a somewhat dominant view now, even uh, today, like, even, even, today. I, 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 even today. Yeah. I don't, yeah. um, like I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dispute how, um, it's, it's positioned in that chapter, which is that like, you know, the, um, one, one of the things that they're talking about and not to get too far ahead. Cause I, you know, we, we do want to start at the beginning, but like, right. One of the things that you talk about is like the, um, like the compulsory, uh, like you have to be amused. That's one of right. my ideas. Right. Like they're very much right. against the idea right. of amusement that like that there, there's this injunction to be amused, which is like pretty, that's close. That's pretty close to, um, the uh to a psychoanalytic position of the injunction to enjoy um i think that in in 2021 that like the there's very much a culture industry of refusing to be amused and you see this especially online and uh in you know in youtube and and uh in in twitter accounts and uh and just like the general sus- like suspicion of like everything that like Disney does and, and, and whatever. Like, I think there's very well, everything much, yeah. comic too. Isn't that yeah. another thing about today? Like that the comic is now viewed inherently with suspicion. I feel like. Yeah. And you mean comedy, right? Comedy. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think unless it is sufficiently uh, cynical and self-hating, I think, has right. to has to display in 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 some manner uh, a level of 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 awareness, which right. uh, yeah, or 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 else it's it's uh, in some way perpetuating of like a like a, a con of some kind. But right, right. that's uh, right. we'll we'll get we'll get into that in the, the the later chapter. But I just but I I I set this all up to to say that like the um the approach that they um that they designate is uh almost shockingly current. And I think it has, um, and it's, it's uh, very consistent throughout. So, um, let's get into it. And, uh, I want to, um, this is really important because we're going to do two things here and this is a, uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe this is a, as, as they say in writing and rhetoric, this is a bit of a, they say, I say kind of thing, <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where, so I want to do two things here, uh, cause this is very, very, very important how they use the word dialectic and employ the concept. Very, very important. And how we're going to do it. So, um, I'm going to, so I think you and I each have, uh, from the first chapter, like yep. a couple of like, different lines that we want to get to. So I'm going to, on mine is on page 11. Okay. I'm going to read this out. Um, and it doesn't, the, the content of, of where th- this is excised from a kind of a long paragraph. So, uh, listeners may be a little bit lost, but the thing to pay attention to is, uh, is the structure of the, the idea and how it is being employed. So I'm going to read, um, the split between inanimate, sorry, <clears throat> the split between animate and inanimate, 
the assigning of demons and deities to certain specific places arises from this pre-animism. Even the division of subject and object is prefigured in it. If the tree is addressed no longer as simply a tree, but as evidence of something else, a location of mana, language expresses the contradiction that it is at the same time itself and something other than itself, identical and not identical. Through the deity, speech is transformed from tautology into language. The concept, usually defined as the unity of the features of what it subsumes, was rather from the first a product of dialectical thinking, in which each thing is what it is only by becoming what it is not. Now, this is really, really, really crucial because this is very, very close. Very to, close. To, I think, to, to something that we might say. Something about, Hegel might say. And something Hegel might say, yeah. Right, right. But the... Um, so I think the the quick one sentence, um, uh, what's what's dialectical? What's the dialectic? Is the uh, the interdependence of things on their own opposition? Right. Um, right. Okay. And that sounds very much like what I just read. Right. Like but, like Hegel would say this. He would say it's the identity of identity and difference. Right. That mm-hmm, would be this mm-hmm. the, the the in a nutshell. Yeah. And what so, that sounds a lot like what you said. Right? It sounds a lot like it, but there's a thing. This makes the dialectic into. I mean, I feel like we've been saying this a lot lately, but it's re- it's really important. I think like to to be able to see this. Uh, this turns the dialectic into uh, a dualism, and so it's and it's subtle, but it's here. The concept usually defined as the unity of features of what it subsumes was rather from the first a product of dialectical thinking in which each thing is what it is only by becoming what it is not. And in Hegel, and in the way that we read Hegel and the way we talk about it, it's not, there's not this destination where, and I'm going to use this word that is very psychoanalytic, but not in a, although not both not and not in a psychoanalytic way and also in a psychoanalytic way. But what we have here from Adorno is like this, and, and Horkheimer, is like a transference of something becoming something else. Okay. Right. And, right. and that's not, the 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 dialectic it's not that like something ha- like this is a a synthetic way of reading the dialectic it's not that you have a thing you have the thing's opposition and through some struggle it becomes what it wasn't at the beginning that's a very synthetic position it sounds close because you have an acknowledgement of a thing and its opposite but it, it's what I, and i think slavoj is really good on this like what we we don't have synthesis at the end quote at the end of a dialectical movement you have um you have void you have you have negativity you have uh, something intractable a a a spot where there is pure antagonism if you will and you you don't have this end point where something becomes what it wasn't at the beginning and it's just it's slight you may think uh that this is or uh, you know, I hope this doesn't come off as like being precious because it's, it's a super super important. Uh, no, what's, and what's going I, I, what, on here. yeah, but what supports it is the rest of the book. I think yeah. that's what supports your reading. I think it's exactly right, and I think the the the, the fatal word is a is a Hegelian word in a sense is becomes mm-hmm. Verden, right? Like it like yeah. that the way in which becomes like so the the, the implication is that first the, there's an identity. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes yeah. otherness. It becomes yeah. invested in the other. And that is, of course, not Hegel's point. That His point is that identity is internally ruptured 
from the get-go, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, so the, I think that's absolutely important. And then it, it's in keeping with, it's funny, first of all, how rare the use of the term dialectic is in, in, in the book. It maybe appears yeah. 10 times mm. in a book that you would think it would be ubiquitous. So that's interesting in yeah. itself. But I think it, it speaks to what you're saying. Like they're much more dualistic thinkers. So you have the one, then the opposite, right? And then you mm-hmm. have on what you're on one side and then the way in which that side is opposed to the other side imposes itself on the other mm-hmm. side. Like mm-hmm. that's what, that's how they see a dialectical process going. So that's why they can say something like the dialectical entanglement of enlightenment and power, right? Like that's, that's another yeah, qu- quotation to, from the book. Yeah. I line. just, that's, that's all I want to say. Just that little part of the line, because mm-hmm. the point for them is that each of those things are whole in themselves. And then they mm-hmm. get dialectically entangled when they go out into their other. Right. But mm-hmm. the, again, the Hegel, the Hegelian point is that you're you're already entangled with your other. You're already because you're not identical with yourself. And so Adorno will later write negative dialectics because he yeah. thinks you have to change what Hegel did in some way. But Hegel's already like his dialectical structure is already a negative dialectics, right? So the, so yeah. that well, and well, I think reads- that. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I was just gonna. Say, I, I I just want you to 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 hit on this this point is that like what what's I mean it's in the text. It's on, I mean it's not even on page eighteen of the text. Is that uh, this line uh, by postulating the known result of the whole process of negation, totality in the system and in history as the absolute? He being Hegel violated the prohibition uh, and himself uh, succumbed to mythology. What Adorno is saying here, and I mean this just goes to your point, and I'd, I'd like to hear you say more about this, is that the 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 problem it's it's kind of interesting because this is this is almost dialectical in nature is that their reading is a retroactive one because they read absolute as a, a, a as a a positive synthesis right right closure totalitarian closure right mm-hmm. like that's what it is right for them that's absolutely true and and i think that that that's why he thinks will have. That's why he believes he needs to write negative dialectics because yeah. you have to counter this positivity, this closure that Hegel, to, this totality that Hegel ends with, because that's in that way he recapitulates the problem. Even though he's critical of Enlightenment, mm-hmm. he he recapitulates this fundamentally totalitarian drive of enlightenment. I mean, they say it directly. I think it's re- really early in the book. They say enlightenment is totalitarian. And, yeah. and I don't know. I mean, they're writing this in the in, uh, under, I mean, Stalin is still in power and mm-hmm. Hitler has just been toppled. Like, it seems like that's a really, I mean, their idea, I think, is that the reason we got these, I don't even like the word totalitarian, so I, I wish they didn't use it, but because it mm-hmm. erases the difference between those two systems. But the, mm-hmm. the, the, the notion that, that we got those because of a dialectic of enlightenment, I just yeah. find that borderline offensive. Like it's just, <laughs> it just seems so wrong to me mm-hmm. to think mm-hmm. that, that like what we're suffering from is an excess of, of, of enlightenment reason. Yeah, yeah, enlightenment rationality. Yeah. I mean, well, how do they, really. How- how yeah. did they get there? I want to do, I want to at, at least tease that out because they, I mean, I know that you said like you gave the one sentence like enlightenment and, and it's a totalitarian, 
aspect, not aspect, but uh, nature. Like, but like in, it in is tautology, right? But I think yeah. how they get there, this line when they say enlightenment. This is my least favorite line in the book. Enlightenment stands in the same relation to things as the dictator to human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and there is exactly what you're saying about dualism, right? Like mm-hmm. you have enlightenment on the one side, yeah. and these poor little things on the other side. That enlightenment reason is instrumentally dominating, and mm-hmm. I just think, how could they not see? And this to me is a very undialectical move. How could they not see that it's actually enlightenment or rationality, whatever you want to call it, that opens up the things in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like they assume that they're like just things lying around external to us, and then enlightenment comes along and takes up this authoritarian, dictatorial position relative to them. That's absurd. That's like a, it's like, it, it, it is akin, akin, I think, to the mm-hmm. contemporary position of flat ontology, right? Like that yeah. Kantian, the Kantian transcendental, Kantian subjectivity is imposing itself on in this hierarchical way, but really everything is flat. Like that's kind of, I mean, they, they give, they're more on the side of Kant and Hegel than that, but mm-hmm. there's that implication, that same kind of radical dualism is at work. Yeah, it's... Um yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it's interesting to see it um, to see it unfold because these because um, they are, like we I mean clearly um, like disagree with the conclusion and the even disagree with the use use of the terms like how the, how the, they define the terms to to get there uh, in the method, but um, it's you can you can at least see see it through, and so. Um, it's kind of like it's it's, it's kind of like this. If the, if if enlightenment has um, this unsavory uh, character of uh, of rationality, where the rationality again, this is Adorno and Horkheimer, um, where the rational where uh, rationality demands a uh, a totalitarian response, then Hegel has to be a part of that. And the reason why Hegel has to be a part of that is because the way that they see the dialectic is in this dualist way and that Hegel is a traitor in some way to the idea because, uh, as they say, uh, like Hegel gave prominence to an element which distinguishes enlightenment from the positivist decay to which he consigned it. And then I said the line earlier, however, went with the idea of the absolute, he violated that and succumb to the succumb mythology, to mythology right. of the enlightenment itself. So the, I, um, let's, okay. You know what? I'm going to do this because I, I've, um, I can't remember if I've done this on the podcast before, but this is an example I use in class. So I'll, I'll use it here. Cause you know what? Could be somebody's okay, first good. episode. Who knows? Good. Okay. Um, this, so I'm going to say this is probably more, this is, this is the dualist way of, of, of looking at something. And then I'm going to move to the dialectical way that in the way that you and I approach it. Okay. Okay. So here's, um, and this actually goes all the way back to something that, um, I was on the dualist side of this in a way early episode. This was like really important for me in understanding dialectics personally. Okay, good. So I hope, I hope good. it's helpful for yeah. other people. So, okay. One of the, uh, capstone, um, ideas in the uh radical rights uh racist uh like immigration idea in in the way that it is articulated in this country and i imagine in others is that what you have what we have here in the u.s is there are 
people coming from South and Central America, specifically from Mexico, come to the U.S., and what happens is they take all the jobs. And that, so that's on the one hand. They take all the jobs. Right. And also... So they, yeah, they took all the jobs. There are just no jobs. There's you know no no jobs for the, for for white working people being taken by by brown immigrants. This is oh we need to be well and you know and they they get people really upset and, and riled up about this. And then on the other and on the other side to to double down is that not not only do they do that, but they also soak up all this like financial like assistance. Like through through um, like WIC and like food stamps. We don't have food stamps anymore. It's called something else. But they but they're they're because they're not working. Because they're not working exactly. Right. Because they're because right. they're because they're just lazy and they and they're just coming here and just just soaking in all of right. the what the what the U.S. The, the United States is bounty. They're just taking it away right. from people right. who who are actually born here. And so the popular. I mean, this is something that like like Trump actually like literally said is that like they do these two things. They come here and they take all the jobs, and they're also very, and they're lazy. Like well, like this whole thing and the normal like. Uh, I don't know, uh, Saturday Night Live or Last Week Tonight, uh, you know, the thing, the shows that I like also, um, the approach to this is like these two things, you can't have these two things. Right. You can't, you can't, you can't say that someone, that these people are coming here and they're so hardworking that they take all the jobs and they're also so hardworking that they're lazy and they don't work. That you just can't have these two things. And that's the that's the popular way of engaging with this thing, and indeed a lot of what the right does because it has this this almost this seemingly Im- Im- impossible uh, uh, contradiction at it. Now, okay, so that's the dualist way of looking at this phenomenon. What would be the dialectical way? Would be this: people come here, they take all the jobs, and they're also really lazy, just like you. <laughs> the so the racist right. thing is not this like caricature of people coming here taking all the jobs and also not like like that's not the that's not the racist thing the racist thing is that like you know what you and I you and I Todd you like like how many books how many books did, did you write like a year it's like crazy but like we tried to do this the other day and you, you didn't want to do it so right, like, right, like right. we couldn't cram, we couldn't couldn't cram it in right. and and um I mean you're a busy guy too but but and I don't and I, and I'm not I'm not having to go at you but because everybody is like this everybody is lazy everybody, and everybody is hardworking right. everybody is and and so it's so what's the the racist thing here except it, I know a few professors that don't have the hardworking oh well the, so there's there's <laughs> yeah. that there's that too but, but the yeah, but the but the dialectical right. approach here the the it, it's not. The, the racist thing isn't as in the dualist approach that we've made up this cartoon uh, uh, c- contradiction that's that's not real. The racist thing is that actually the, the right has denied a basic dignity of being a person to uh, to, 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 to immigrants like th- that this this is just a, a, a character of, of, of being a human that they have uh, removed and, and 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 glossed over. So that that's the that would be the dialectical dialectical way. Approach. Yeah, it's a pretty good point. Like I I use this example in my book on Hegel, and I, I really like it. That feminism in the seventies, mm-hmm. their point was women are contradictory. Like mm-hmm. like men are allowed to be virtuous and slutty, right? Like, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but if you're a woman, you're either a sex the traditionally, right? Like you're either 
a sex object or you're a maternal figure. You mm-hmm. can't, you're not both, right? But, mm-hmm. but men can be paternal and sex object, right? And so mm-hmm. they can be contradictory. The point was that the women, like what it is to be human is to be both things, right? To be maternal and sex object, paternal and sex object. So I I think that, I think that's often, you know, like we, we guard for, we don't allow the other to be contradictory in the way we are, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think that that's, which is, which you're right, like that, and that nicely I think shows the political force Mm -hmm. of dialectical thinking. Yeah, yeah, and uh, y- yes, and and not and not to and not to cut that short, but it, it's the it is a, it's precisely the understanding of the dialectic which does not appear in this book, and, not appear and in that, this book at all, and right. that's right. and that's why the Enlightenment is only totalitarian. It cannot have a a, a future I mean, uh, on the on right. The I mean, there are these there are these sentences, Ryan, where they say like freedom is dependent on enlightenment, but they're just so few and far between. And, I mean, and I, think that, is, I think that one you're talking about, the next sentence begins with but. So it's like, I, it does. It does. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely right. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Um, because, and, and then in their analysis, that never appears. Like they, they never, they don't see some emancipatory potential in sod. Right? Like, yeah, like there's right, no, right. whereas Lacan kind of does, right? So mm-hmm. that is one little difference, I think, or one, one important difference. But uh, I think that the, you know, and, and then, it, of course, with with uh, culture industry, there's absolutely no emancipatory moment. No, no. The, you, and w- you go. No, go ahead. I, no, no, I think we're probably going to say the same thing. The like the the the, ni- the nice thing in they they have a lot of uh, bad things to say about the the Hayes Code, the Hollywood production code uh, censorship in Hollywood, which, again, that's one of these things where you're like, oh, yeah, censorship equals bad. There's nothing right. good that could come from censorship. It's good that the code, that there's not a Hollywood production code anymore because it, 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 ha- it made everything the same, okay? Right. And the dialectical approach to that is like, no, this, this was a very productive and radical limit. Like, and it's, so this, they write this in 1947, which is the same year that Out of the Past and uh, Lady from Shanghai came out, which are, are two films that we have recommended, I believe, as the lesson in previous podcasts. Previous for, uh, podcasts. Right, yeah, yeah, for right. different reasons. And uh, these are, I mean, these are radical, these are radical films. Um, Incredible, the, right? Like, I mean, yeah. obviously they wouldn't have seen them yet, but. No, no. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't obviate the point that there was this obviously film noir. Certainly they would have seen it. it, it people usually date it to 41 and, and Maltese Falcon. Right. So, mm-hmm. so there were clearly film noir that they could have, they could have seen. And Adorno was totally immersed in Hollywood. So, and, and Horkheimer as well. So they would have known, they would have been absolutely acquainted with those films. And it, it, it is, I think clearly the most radical filmic movement in the history of cinema. I mean, I would put it even over Italian neorealism and I would put it even over, you know, some contemporary international movie like Iranian cinema, which I think is today amazing. But again, Iranian cinema is interesting, right? Because it's again, the fecundity of the, of the production code. Yeah, exactly. No, that's it. No, it's a great point. I mean like the, um, in, so uh, film noir has like an additional element, um, that, that is, that is interesting that I, I don't, um, I don't know. This could be. I, I I haven't seen enough, but I don't. I haven't seen this in 
this this in uh, Iranian uh, cinema, this thing I'm about to say that's in film noir, which is that in a film noir, the characters in the film are doing what the people who made the movie were also doing under the, uh, under the code. And by that, I mean, is like, they're trying to get away with something. Right. And like right. the, the, so in the, and I, when I put that plainly to, to say that, like, there was this restriction on, you know, license, licentious kissing. If someone committed a crime at one point in the film, they had, they, they, they had to pay for it by the end. Like you, you know, there had to be this, like, uh, like this moral, uh, absolutism, uh, uh, to it. Um, and it, um, in between 1934, uh, four months after, um, uh, it happened one night came out. Um, and everyone saw scandalously Claudette Colbert's leg. Uh, right, so four months, right. four months after that, um, and until, uh, 1968, although in the fifties, like, uh, like uh, there was a loosening before it was finally abandoned. Right. Completely. I mean, Lolita came out before yeah. that. So yeah. Yeah. So, but the, but these noirs, like you have, you have characters who are operating under the, the thumb and suspicion of the law and like they're, and that's what the, the people who wrote these movies were doing with the Hayes office. Like, please watch. The big sleep, and I think we talked about it before. The 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 scene where Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, which was added because of the because another, because the, the soldiers overseas liked their relationship so much. Yeah, and because the other film, right? Wasn't it uh, to have and have not? To have and have out, not. Yeah, yeah. Came out yeah. as well. So there was extra pressure and extra like eyes on. There's the scene in the in the bar where uh, Bogart and Bacall are talking. And on the page, they're talking about horse racing, what they like to do for fun, what, how, what kind of horses they like. But if you what watch kind of horses this, they would be, that they kind would of horses be. they would be, yeah, yes, yes. And so, you watch so, this, and, and, and Bogart, I think, is the first to say, "I think you like to get out to a lead. You don't like to be raided." Yes, and raided means held back. Uh, as yes, the jockey holds the horse back. Uh, and and she and she, I think Bacall says back to him, ah, "You don't like to be raided either." <laughs> like, yeah. So it's it's pretty great actually. I'd like to like to see uh, 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 what is he? Bogart says like, "Well, uh, oh, he's she says seems like she's got a touch of class, but I want to see how she performs over a distance, a distance <laughs> of ground." That's exactly right. That's right, exactly right. Like. And right. it's just like it's filthy. It's utterly yeah, like they're just yeah. they're just talking about fucking each yeah. other, and it's yeah. like it's one of those things where there are so it's, it's also in out of the past. They're like I just taught taught this recently too, so it's on my mind um, that the t- two characters in the um, flashback, uh, Jeff and uh, Kathy, like the first time they have sex, like they're at they're in a um, uh, like a. I don't know, like like a beach house, in, a bungalow, uh, I think, a bungalow in Mexico, yeah. and the production code version, like like image of of sex, is that a towel gets thrown on a lamp and the lamp breaks and then the door blows open and it's right. a torrential downpour, a wet rainstorm, and it's like if you just think semiotically about that, it's much more right. disgusting if you actually saw Robert Mitchum like begin to have right. sex right. with the, right. you know like with Jane Greer yeah and it's the, it's the same thing in in The Big Sleep if they just were flirting in the way that you could in a contemporary film it's it's much less disgusting than so the 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 code like the 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 production code which you know was intended to stamp out these like lascivious things like was it it it, it it didn't. It, uh, it, well, it, I, I'm it just saying, them. like, isn't it very possible that the intention of the code wasn't the explicit intention of the code? It's like, it's pretty, I mean, that'd be a dialectical way of, of looking at right, it. Right, 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 yeah. right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. So, and, and this, this, of course, that's like, that's, um, is an analysis that would, is outside of what, um, is possible within the logic of dialectic of enlightenment. Like, like that, what we just said about the code is not thinkable within the system that Adorno and Horkheimer lay out. Right. Because the system is, is, is rupture free. It's, it's, it's crack free. It's like the, again, I think it's because of the dualist nature of their way of thinking about dialectic is that it's all about imposition on otherness, right? Like, you know, uh, enlightenment expels difference. That's what they say. Culture mm-hmm. today is infecting everything with sameness, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. And, 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 and the code would be the exemplar of that, right? Yeah. So, the, yeah. so that I think is really, really central to their vision of things. And what they don't see, and I think it's interesting that they don't see the way in which the sameness has to be divided from within. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it can't perpetuate, perpetuate itself as sameness. Like I, I don't, it's like, for them, sameness and difference are these absolute opposed things, but they're mm-hmm. they're not opposed. They're they're the one emerges out of the other and is and it relies on the other. And I think that to mm-hmm. me that's a real that's a that to me is the one of the main misfires of this of this book. That it the like once you conceive dialectics in this in the way that they do in this mm-hmm. dualistic fashion, then you're just there's no way. And I think you've already said this. There's no way you could not condemn the culture industry in the way that they do yeah no it's just it's uh it's inevitable i mean and it's it's interesting like uh i i think that this is a, a little is a little over 100 years i mean you know i like to bring things back to um to the serial but part of the reason i do is that like i think this is like that that's the beginning of mass Media. This isn't even uh, solely my point. There's um there's a uh, a pretty good book uh by a scholar named Juliet John called like called um uh, I think it's a D- Dickens and in, in mass culture or Dickens and mass media something like that and like and that's that's her claim is what she works with is that like the like Dickens and seriality like 1836 is the beginning of right. uh of, of 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 mass culture and I and I think the reason I bring this up is that whenever there is and and Adorno and Horkheimer do this too, that, uh, whenever you, you have an argument about, uh, Oh, things are just the same. There's always some time in the past where they weren't. And I think when people talk about, it's kind of, I think it's kind of funny. Like, I mean, I've just heard this, but like when people complain about films all being the same, it's like the time that often gets pointed to where the films were different was like the time of the code, which is the time right. that Adorno and Horkheimer are saying is or the complaining about the, the enforced sameness. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and so I think, and so they do this with like, you know, jazz music and they do this with, you know, um, uh, with classical music as being like a, a kind of, uh, there, there being a, a genuine kind of, of difference, but it's also like, that's like put, like going back to this time where the implication is that mass culture didn't exist, and like I'm trying to say, like it did. Like right, it, right. it's just they they're they're just finding something different than what is uh, more more widely available in the in 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 the uh, you know the contemporary moment. And it's like you know there's soap operas uh, from radio to TV get a big slam here, and they often do. But I mean, I'm not sure. This isn't my point, but like one of the uh, 
you know, that's a, that's a, that's a form of television that is just like always pilloried for being like exactly the same. Like there's like four or five stereotypes, right? Like someone's brother comes to town, like we write, it's a kind of mysterious stranger. There is a twin, someone's in a coma and there is an unlikely pregnancy, but you know what? Like, um, I am forgetting the first person to kind of theorize this, but like, as opposed to most TV, because of the way that soap opera has to be made and these things are made like every day and not very far in advance, um, the, it has to dramatize, um, effect rather than cause. And so you, you really can't rely on people watching every single day. But if the core thing to a season is that a mysterious stranger has come to town, then you cannot watch a week, but everyone's still dealing with the fallout from that. Right. And that is like, that's a, that's a, that's a uniqueness to the way that the soap opera tells the story is that like, if someone's in a coma, they're going to be in a coma the entire season. And again, you can miss some episodes and you come back, you get caught up from the intro in the beginning. And like, like it's, it's, you know, like there, there is an, uh, there is a craft to that where it is much easier to see sameness. Right. Right. It's funny that you said the twin because Julian Moore, who I think is one of the great actors of all time, played a mm. twin on a soap opera. Oh. <laughs> she played two different parts. You know, it was the same. She was the same actor, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. It saves you money, I guess, too, right? You only certainly have to does. An actor, right? Um, uh, Except when you shoot them in the same shot, that's probably more expensive. That probably is much uh, more costly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that that's pretty good, and I think that the, you know, the way that, the the way that for Adorno, okay, so it's you're right that it's 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 music and art drama before mm-hmm. a certain point in time, mm-hmm. right? And then what's acceptable today is high art, right? Like yeah. It, like and it's interesting. So somebody like Schoenberg or Alban Berg, who who Adorno studied with, mm-hmm. like they're okay, right? Because mm-hmm. they're doing something that can't that actually is actively resisting being enjoyable for the listener, right? Like like that. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Like it is, or at least I shouldn't say that. I should say it's actively resisting being a form of amusement. Because I mm, think you can right, enjoy, right. say, Berg's violin concerto. Although I was once, I might have said this already, I was once in the car with Hillary and she, I was listening to Berg's Violin Concerto and she's like, she said to me, I thought it was a very really good point, only someone who doesn't like music would like this. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's, that's good. That is a good, good description of me. Like I'm not a music lover. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and, but Adorno was, he was a great musician. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I think that, I think that that's, part of it like it 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 has to be something that like actively resists amusement like actively resists being reducible to amusement so i think even beethoven is a little suspicious right like and and, and adorno's yeah. book on beethoven it, it goes it's back and forth right at times he loves him mm-hmm. thinks he's the most radical artist in human history and then at other times he's he he sees this capitulation to to popularity, you know, which I think it's interesting, like to, to what extent just pure popularity. And you said you've used the term popular culture. They, they would not use that term, right? Like for them, or, or I think you said mass culture, like they would not use the term mass culture because they think it's a culture industry that's imposing something on the masses. Well, so this, and I, I wanted to say this, like I, there's a nice line they have on late capitalism, which is not a term that you and I like because it implies that there's an end 
or, uh, or, or even that like this, it, it, you, what you don't in the signifier itself, what you don't have is the idea that like, it can go like this forever, like un- until, until it's like Wally, you know, right, like, right, you know, right. like that's, that's the whole idea. Um, but they have that line that, that, that I like of, um, retroactive need, which is not in the same sentence that they use the word, they use the phrase like capitalism, but I think it's like one sentence apart. And that I think like I, that I think is, 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 is true in a, in a good, in a good read. But again, it's like, um, it's just not like the, the, the possibility for, for a rupture or radical act within that is foreclosed. And that I just, right. I can't, I right. can't get down with that. But I, but I do think that that's a, that's a nice, like, um, did anyone need Peacock from NBC? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, did anyone right. need Paramount right. Plus? No, probably not. The like, but it's, but it's these, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a, a, a retroactive, uh, instantiation of, uh, of, of need, like you're like, and, and of, of insinuating demand where it did not right. exist. I think that's right. a, like a really right. nice feature right. of, of, uh, to, to go with to think about late capitalism. But again, like the whole point is even within that, there would be something radical if you are approaching it, uh, dialectically otherwise you foreclose it and it's so i mean i would i I think i would call this more the foreclosure of the dialectic i I, that's really good but don't they think that their act of theorizing is itself a radical act like that one of the things adorno insists on is that that theory can and and it's funny because people you know how slavoj will often say what we need to do is not act but take time to theorize and reflect today I mean, a lot of people have said, well, isn't that Adorno's position? Because mm. I think Adorno does think it's the like the pressure to act on the left is part of this domination of, of enlightenment instrumental rationality, right? You got to turn yourself into an instrument mm-hmm. for some cause. And I think he wants to resist that. And part of resisting that is writing this book that with Horkheimer. Like, I think that he thinks this just authoring a theoretical book is part of, that's the resistance. And then, of course, when actual resistance came in, in Germany in the 1960s, he was appalled, like he was against the student movement. And so, I did not know that, yeah. You didn't know that? Yeah, he was. No. And, and, and he got, you know, and he was, uh, someone, they threw flowers on him, some woman took off her shirt in front of him during a talk and, and he had a heart attack a couple of weeks later. So there's oh, a thought God. that like that he was killed by the student movement. But it's, <laughs> oh, it's, I know it's really it's incredible. No. Yeah, 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 it's incredible. But I mean, it doesn't. It makes sense that he would have been against it because any any positive uh, political movement is always going to be instrumentalized, right? Like it's it, it, it instrumentalizes itself in a way. And so I think f- that for him, only the theoretical ground is really the radical ground yeah it's um yeah i think that's interesting and you can you know uh the disdain that he seems to have for this idea i'm just going to bring this back to film because because i mean that chapter is so it's mainly uh, on film right? is mainly on film but the 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 disdain for the lubitsch touch the disdain for wells the disdain (laughs) well the disdain come on (laughs) i know i know (laughs) Sorry, but Lubitsch made a more radical work than Adorno could ever dream of making, right? Like, sorry. I mean, 
To be or not to, to be. To, is, yeah, there we go. To be yeah, or not to yeah, be. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's just, it's just, it's outstrips everything Adorno does. I mean, I want to talk though about, so yeah. that's, I found that offensive, but I want to talk about this Wells point because mm-hmm. what he says about Wells is, to my, I, it's, or what they say about Wells, it's just, it seems so symptomatic of what they're, of what they're doing. And I think speaks right to what you were saying about this no space for, the Radical Acts. This is on page 129 of the English translation. They say, whenever Orson Welles offends against the tricks of the trade, he's forgiven because his departures from the norm are regarded as calculated mutations, which serve all the more strongly to confirm the validity of the system. Now, okay, this is 1947 they're writing. Whenever they wrote it, say mid-40s, Citizen Kane had already come out, right? And it was thought, mm-hmm. and, and, and some people appreciated it as a radical work. A lot of people didn't, but very famously, a bunch of studios got together and gave and, and offered RKO nine hundred thousand dollars for the print so that they could burn it for the negative. So yeah. clearly, he's not just forgiven all of his his transgressions from the norm. Like they're they're mm-hmm. they represent a real living danger to that structure, and that had to be wiped out. Or and then. Subsequently, of course, every film that he worked on in Hollywood was taken from him when mm-hmm. they saw the, his first cut of it because yeah. they were like, this is not, this is too, it goes too far. And, and he'll, he'll say things like it was just too tough for them. Mm-hmm. You know, and he thinks Magnificent Ambersons was the best film he ever made. And, and the last, the studio executive came in and said, take, take off the last 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just, it's, you know, I, it's so. Yeah, go ahead. So that would be well, no, I mean like the in their system th- this wouldn't be the case. Right? Like that's that's kind of what 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 Todd is trying to get at. And I mean it's like I brought up um I brought up Lady from Shanghai earlier like the that's a film that had 16 or more minutes of of uh the like the most uh I think famous sequence from it uh, that takes place in a um, funhouse which has uh, been referenced recently in by uh, Jordan Peele's Us in the HBO series Watchmen. Uh there's a 16 minutes that were just destroyed by the right. studio because they like they the they hated it like they were like the like like you know Wells like was like so anyway so it's sort of like the sanitizer what else they did you know they put music over it he wanted it to be totally silent yeah and so that's a way to kind of stifle the the disruptiveness of the of the scene by putting some kind of music no that's fascinating yeah no and again like that's like that like it really i think that's what one would do if one is trying to say that the culture industry uh enforces sameness then you have to like so again like like I'm I'm saying that this and I I hope it does not come off as damning with faint phrase but like they like they are doing what you should do okay if there is an example that argues against your point you have to find a way to make it so that it doesn't undermine you and work against you so what they are kind of backed into just because of the structure of the argument is like okay Hollywood it's you know the studio system everyone knows that and it's enforcing this total sameness so if there is a figure or more than one figure uh Lubitsch right Chaplin who seem to be like above the fray of sameness they have to be taken down and seen to be part of the of, of, of the system itself right and, and then the one yeah. person you can't take down because it's so obvious he's challenging the rules of the system you have to say that 
he's just the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, that's, that's how you have to proceed. Now, couldn't you say, I hate when people make this critique, Go but ahead. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Couldn't you say that it, they're the ones imposing an absolute sameness on all yeah. these objects, which are radically different? Like, mm-hmm. how in the world film noir is reducible to, I don't know, some, some you know, ordinary drama of the of the forties. Like it's just, it's, that's incredible. Right. Like it just, mm-hmm. you, you, or, or even the screwball comedy, like the, the disruptiveness implicit yeah. in the screwball comedy, they just, that to them, it's just like, Oh, it might as well be whatever, you know, uh, some, some just run the mill, whatever film. So I, 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 it's, it's, it's incredible to me really, because I think they, in the complaint about, sameness they're perpetuating that far more than hollywood does it seems to me yeah no i mean yeah p- page 111 really good the culture industry does not sublimate it suppresses uh by constantly exhibiting the object of desire the breast beneath the sweater the naked torso of the sporting hero it merely goads the unsublimated anticipation of pleasure which through the habit of denial has long since been mutilated as masochism and then they have the line a couple like a sentence down, the Hayes office merely confirms the ritual which the culture industry has staged in any case, that of Tantalus. Uh, Works of art are ascetic and shameless. The culture industry is pornographic and prudish, which I kind of think almost argues against their point because because doesn't their point have to be that like what the Hayes code doesn't allow is would be truly radical? Right, right. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, it reduces love to romance and once reduced... Uh, much is permitted, even uh, libertinage, libertinage, I have no idea, as a marketable specialty pervade by quota with the trade description daring. You know, like, so this, a, a, a falseness that, like, it's within, I mean, I think this would be their claims that, and maybe this, so, okay, maybe what they would say to what we were saying about the, like, the, the ra- really the radicality of Wells, maybe this is their point, is that it's only radical in the, in the system itself. Right, but, right, right, right. But, and it's just you know, tolerated. It's tolerated because it, it, it allows you to think that there's radicality, right? Like that's why. So we need these little illusions of radicality to be, to keep going along our merry way, right? Like if we didn't have yeah. that, then we'd be able to recognize what they recognize. Like yeah, that's the yeah. danger of Wells, I think, for them, right? Right, because Wells is just such a problem because it it's not he was not celebrated as a maverick in Hollywood. They they tried to destroy him. They destroyed and, him. Yeah, right. And did because the only Ruthlessly. reason he made, the only yeah. reason he made Lady from Shanghai was because a, a his film production company, no, sorry, not film theater production company was running out of money, or he was doing he it as a money, favor to somebody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so and he was run out of the industry. <laughs> so like. That's a, I think that's a problem for them. Like, I even think that's a problem for that argument that I just, which would be, I think, the best one, which is like, no, 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 no. You're only seeing radicality within a system. Within that, the system, right. Yeah. Within a, but, within a conservative system. Yes, yes. Right. Um, I mean, it's just, it's interesting that every chapter, I mean, you said this before, but every chapter is the same thing, right? Like, it's, it's this all-powerful structure stamps itself on what's other to it. And that's why mm-hmm. Sod is the truth of Kant. That's why Odysseus, that's what Odysseus, how he he triumphs in the Odyssey, right? Like there's this, 
that that's the structure. That's how anti-Semitism works. That's to me is the strangest thing, that the conclusion on anti-Semitism, because the notion that the anti-Semite projects something onto the onto the figure of the Jew. I don't I just think that's such a it's I, I didn't want to say this word, but it's so simplistic. Like the whole, like don't you think it's fu- what's funny to me is mm-hmm. that Adorno and Horkheimer, Adorno especially, is known as this very difficult writer, right? Mm-hmm. But the point is so it's like the difficulty, and I guess it's hard, but it it just is there to hide the simplicity of the point, I think. I mean, I, 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 that's so unfair, I'm sure. And I, we're going to have a few Adorno lovers writing in saying, I'm never listening again. But I, I just, I, I think the point is really utterly simple. Like it's not, it's just about the way in which something that's dominating imposes itself on difference. Something that's dominating and, and perpetuating sameness mm-hmm. imposes itself on what is inherently different and then masters it, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, and, and, and isn't the whole point of say Kant mm-hmm. is that it's only through this, this act of transcendental apperception that a field even opens up as possible to be experienced and understood and even perceived, right? So, so for them, that's just not true. For them, it's just this violent imposition and mm-hmm. there would be an opening anyway to, to things if we didn't have that, right? Like, so it's, it, they want to have knowledge without the violence of knowledge. They want to have ethics without the violence of duty, right? Like, that's, that's they want to have culture without the violence of culture because that's yeah. what the thing is critical of, that moved, that violent imposition. But is it just an imposition, right? Like, isn't every time that you... Oh, like every, like every work of of Hollywood cinema isn't just an imposition. It's also a response, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's responding to how people re- like to the last film, right? And how mm-hmm. how many people are going to go to this one, and what and what fantasy I anticipate as a filmmaker is prevalent in the audience, right? I think like those questions are just totally foreclosed for them. Yeah, it's. I mean. Isn't this a famous couple lines here? Uh, culture is a paradoxical commodity. It's so completely subject to the law of exchange that is no longer exchanged. It is so blindly equated with use that it can no longer be used. I think this is like one of these things that's like, yeah, wow, that sounds like a, that's a really, I mean, I think it's a good line. And I don't, I just don't, I just don't think that's true. Like uh, and, and, and any part of, any part of that. Like, I don't know, like what, what, what cannot be exchanged about it? What cannot be used about it, like um, and I and I maybe I'm being dense about this, but like the is this not the topic of this the biggest and most famous chapter in this book? Like like does this not show the uh, I don't know intellectual train uh, exchange that has been uh, like kind of right 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 historical I mean, from nineteen from nineteen forty seven to I mean we're we're coming up on eighty years later like I, I yeah. don't I don't know like I, they're not to know they're not to know that but I mean like again if the, like they uh, they don't do not write this book unless they think that it can you know do something and be and 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 uh, and, and and change something and it I, right I, don't know, I mean like, don't you have to isn't you know there's a, Kojev has this great line about Spinoza when he says, 
Spinoza constructs the perfect system, except no one could have written it. And <laughs> I, I, I'm tempted to say that about them, right? Like, yeah. okay, maybe it's all correct, but you, where's the space from which you could write this yeah. book? And don't doesn't no, every no. book written have to at least have the theoretical space available for the possibility of it being written? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good point. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's, and no, it's a, it's a very good point, and and, and I think one of the uh, one of the best ones about this, which is like, like you kind of move through, move through it this way, right? It's like okay, the culture industry, like let's just let's just agree with all the premises, right? The culture industry is uh, enforcing sameness. That it is, it is, uh, has a position of um, social power of 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 limiting even uh, in, interpretation and ability to to see it. We have this uh, unholy uh, matrimony of uh, of Hollywood of advertisement. Of, uh, of of amusement, we have uh, pornographic versions of uh, what should be real emotions, you know, um, and we we just are completely uh, detached, separated from anything that is art, uh, right. and and we are just hooked on to whatever is going to be the next thing, where we're we're just we're wrapped we're wrapped up in this thing. Let it let's. Uh, this is just go to the point that Todd just said, accept all of those premises. And then you have to say, okay, how did you come up with this then? Right. And right. it maybe seems simple. Maybe that seems simplistic and stupid, but like, um, I've had, you know, I've, I've, I've had students begin, uh, like, uh, pro- you know, uh, research projects from the perspective. It's like, like, you know, a lot of the, um, like the sitcoms from the nineties that they really like are, you know, really are, are, are very, uh, are, are, are transphobic or, or homophobic and, and bigoted in some way. And they enforce this kind of like normality that, that makes everybody think like, this is the way that you should approach these things. And I, it's like, okay, I agree that those things are in that text, but if that's, if it's not possible to see another way, then how did you do it? Right. And right. It, it's just like, like, and like, and, and, and not as a, not as a dick to say that way. It's just like how, how, how were you ex- accepted in, in this, you know, right. E E X accepted in, right, in, in right. that system. And, and that's important to, to, to bear out. So like, um, right. so you can't say something like they say in the anti-Semitism chapter, nothing can escape even love through the mere fact, though the mere fact that it takes place within the completely or through the mere fact that it takes place within the completely organized system of domination has the system's trademark imprinted on it. Like nothing yeah. can escape. It's just, it's just so clear that's their position. So that includes, that and, includes and them. The, what, yeah. that includes them. But what's maddening is I think they would say, yes, that includes us. But you don't get out of it <laughs> by saying by admitting to that, right? Like well, you, well, this is well, this is the point. This is like and like this this is what I would say, you know, uh if they if I were I their friend and they asked me for for comments on, on this or something, uh, I would say, like, look, you like just as you said, you have to make space for your own intervention and also how you got there. And that's the you know, like like cause I can buy of I can buy much of this, but I don't buy it to the point that uh, critique and uh, radicality and 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 pushback and 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 seeing seeing the system for what it is is not possible. Like I don't like right. I, I I'm right. sorry. Like right. if if you you don't you don't have 
you you do not have I think we said this before like you don't have a genuine left wing if that's what you think you're doing you do not have a genuine left wing project if there's no possibility for the radical act if there's no possibility right. of rupture if you're if you are outside of a phenomenon for which like you're that you're critiquing and you are not a part of it. And also your ability to separate yourself and create a minimal distance is not a part of the critique. Then you've, then you know what you have succumbed to Todd McGowan, you have succumbed to the mythology of your own like intelligence. Right, 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 right. And then, you know, it ends up being, and I, I don't, I don't, I think this is symptomatic what they do about comedy, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, they say these these lines, which are damning, right? There's laughter because there's nothing to laugh about mm-hmm. in a wrong society. <laughs> I love this idea of wrong society, like there's mm-hmm. a right one. Um, I mean, wouldn't the wouldn't the right society be the one that grasped its wrongness, that the society's yeah. always wrong or something like that? Mm-hmm. So in wrong society, laughter is a sickness infecting happiness and drawing it into society's worthless totality. Mm-hmm. So really, like... They totally, and this is, I think goes back to what you said their their thing about Lubitsch, like mm-hmm. they totally miss out how the comic can actually undermine, yeah, a structure, right? It can easily, and and of course it does what they're talking about, and there is this, of course, amusement that keeps things keeps the everything lubricated and going, mm-hmm. but there also is comedy that really disturbs and disrupts, and that's mm-hmm. you know there's. There's a Hegel is there's the comedy of Hegel, right? And that's not <laughs> that's not the comedy of of something that just fits in with wrong society. Like I think so I think yeah. that just gets completely overlooked and missed in this in, in in the diatribe. And I think it's because I mean it's because Adorno wasn't funny, but it's <laughs> why isn't he funny, right? Because he he it, it, to be to be funny and to be in touch with the comic is to be dialectical, right? Like mm-hmm. Hegel's a funny philosopher because he's dialectical. And I think the index of their distance from dialectic is their indictment of comedy, to mm-hmm. my mind. Like that, because comedy is the ultimate dialectical structure because, you you know, the thing has to be itself and the other at the same time. It has to, yeah. it has to, it has to be broken from within by some contradiction like that's the nature of the comic right so i think that the fact that they just have to be totally dismissive mm-hmm. of comedy is suggestive of what we started with that is yeah. that they're dualists and they're not dialecticians and that is the fundamental i think problem with the book like that that it's a it's a dualistic critique of enlightenment mm-hmm yeah, and it ha- and so these it's it's really interesting. Well, I mean, like, I'm I'm happy that um what we kind of focused on is like the the examples that they include that have to be uh, couched, massaged, uh, trivialized uh, because they they threaten their point. And it's nice to um it's nice that they include Wells, Lubitsch, comedy um, as the uh in the book so like we don't have to make this up as though it's like some right that was nice of them right yeah right right, right, right. (laughs) no and i like and 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 i do like like again i don't i don't want i don't want this to to sound uh like again false but like it's is important to see like if if, to see how this thread develops and that like the, the the conclusions 
that they come to and the, like the way that uh, they regard uh, cultural objects, movements within culture, or even just, uh, you know, uh, genres of, of art and approaches to it. Like it is formally uh, dictated by their dualist position. And um, it's, and so that, that I think very, very, very useful, but I think that that's not, I mean, it's kind of the reason why our episode has taken this, um, tack is that like, that's not how uh, particularly the culture industry is, is, is read today. And, you know, departments, uh, that are like the, which the ones that we work in, you know, it's, it's more like, you know, this is a, this is a, like the culture industry essay. I mean, it, like, it's like, look, these, this is an outsider, uh, critique and look at how relevant it still is. Like, I think is, is kind of the, the way that that is taught. That's uh, right. Today. That's right. And, you know, rather than like, you know, uh, the, they have this, they have the chapter of the limits of enlightenment. It's, it's kind of like, I, I think the book is the limit of, of, of dualism. Like, you, you know, you, you, like dualism can get you to a point where it can help you, um, articulate the forces in the social and in, uh, culture and in government like that, that are impinging and like leaning on, uh, people and leaning on uh, p- a popular imagination and restricting it. it yes. I, I think it, I think it can lead you to those things. What it cannot do is help you find a way to push back because it, it's just structurally eliminated. Right. Like, and right. you can only. Say, I think you're right. Like, what they would say is like, "Yes, we are a part of the problem," and then they would definitely would. Yeah, and then okay, so then so now so and what? then I think this is yeah, the question. Yeah. Now what? Like that's always, that's the question. I think that's the question to the, to the, to the cynic or, or, you know, to like, okay, you, you have identified this thing and I agree with you. Now what? Right. Right. And no, that's and, really good. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? Oh no. I, well, I don't know. I, I think I was going to leave it on that because, <laughs> because. It, yeah, that's because good. Made, that's good. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I think I, to me, the lesson is since we've already used up lady from Shanghai and out of the past, our that's lesson, true. luckily, you got to another great one. So the, the lesson is, I think, watch the big sleep. And and especially <laughs> yeah. the version, you know, the two versions are out. So the version that has less plot and mm-hmm. more Bogart Bacall, which is yes. the, has the horse. That horse is only in, this, in, the, in the theatrical release version of it. So Yes. Yeah. I think that's uh, that... That film, I like um, to, to tell people or, or when, I, when I teach it that, like... Uh, this is William Faulkner, and then you know you you've never heard of uh, of the other author, but they uh, they co-wrote um, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Lee Brackett. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The well, other you, you author. Didn't, you didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that. No. Yeah. No. I do know this little fact from it, which mm-hmm. I I love. Um, so Faulkner and the other writer and Hawks were drinking at three a.m. one night, working on the script. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know who killed the first guy that gets killed in the in the in the in the novel, yeah. and so they called up Marlowe, who was of course still awake drinking, mm-hmm. and he he like he went back to the novel and he's like, you know, I don't know. So it was great. So the, even <laughs> wait, you called, so it just you, shows. Called Ch- you called Chandler Marlowe, by the way. Oh, I did. Sorry, <laughs> you're right. They called Chandler. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, but yeah, that 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 even so, it just shows, of course, the the lesson is the unimportance of plot in in film noir or detective <laughs> fiction. 
Excellently anyway, done. Excellently done. I, I didn't do it so excellent because I forgot uh, Raven Chandler's last name. Anyway, uh, over and out, Ryan. <laughs> over and out, Todd. <laughs>